scriptural sexual ethics, point number two, the true meaning of manhood. I thought to be a real man, I needed to have big muscles, look a certain way, have the girls hanging from my arms, at least just one girl, be popular, tall, witty, intelligent, and athletic. And for me, most of these were unattainable. I fed myself on a steady diet of pornography, which I first saw at school at the age of 12, and then from Playboy magazines in my own home at the age of 13. And then at the age of 14, I started working at a highway gas station. And my first task was to clean the restrooms and clean the parking lot. And I discovered that many businessmen would dump off their, their magazines from the week in the, uh, in the, in the uh, trash cans at, at the parking lot. And I had all the magazines anyone could ever want, all the pornographic material that I ever wanted at the age of 14. And self-gratification of masturbation and fantasy were the story of my life. And it's in these things women will do whatever we want them to. This was the story of my life. But you know, fantasy is never quite enough. We want the real deal, thinking that that's where fulfillment will be reached. But it was always elusive. And all the time I was really feeling quite insecure. Although I personally never went there, when this insecurity in one's own manhood is carried to the extreme, you get homosexuality, where the desire is to get part of the other's life through the experience with them, first in fantasy, then seeking it in reality, where homosexual fantasy is to have sex with the idealized person of masculinity. If I can touch it, receive it, swallow it, I would have it. But did you know, everything evil, if untwisted, you can see truth. The Lord's Supper, in the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So you see, Satan can only corrupt that which is good. I am not condemning you for this, my brother. I have struggles of fantasy, sex, and pain that have plagued my life. Often thinking that nobody knows the structural, sexual struggles that I go through. And I must be the only one or one of the few that has this level of struggle. I got saved at the age of 18. On the one hand, I was reading and loving the scriptures. Well, at the same time, I was often overcome by my fantasy life, which was conditioned from childhood. Although I was powerfully delivered from pornography immediately after I was saved, and I was able to rid myself of pornography by the grace of God, I have never experienced, and I had, I had never experienced deliverance as an adult Christian from my sexual fantasy life. So though I was delivered from pornography, the fantasy life never left me. 
And I always felt condemned and felt little place for release. For example, as a young man battling masturbation and seeking advice from my pastor, I was told, put ice on it. That's what I was told. Put ice on it. And that just hurt. That's called suppression. And there's no victory in that. Just pain and the temporary relief of guilt. Knowing that before too long I would fall again. Often within a few hours and if due to strength of will a few days. I thought I needed masturbation or for some it's the release with a woman. Like I needed bread and water. Fantasy and even occasional masturbation at times followed me into marriage. Because marriage does not release us from sexual disorder. I entered marriage with my wife who was a virgin on the day we married. But the way we are conditioned by our fantasy life and the life before marriage will usually open the door for those habits to enter into the marriage. You know what we're doing when we're having sex with our wives? When we've not experienced sexual freedom? We're masturbating except using their bodies for our own sexual pleasure. We are so conditioned by fantasy and pornography that we cannot even properly love the wife that shares a bed with us. We are committing adultery in our hearts at the very moment that we're to be consummating our marriage. The lizard, that lizard is all the while chattering in our ears. And I've come to see that my story is not terribly unlike the story of many men. Let's think a little bit about manhood. You know, every man struggles with what it means to be a man. Even professional athletes. You know, uh, some of you may know I, I teach a Bible study to, to uh, the Houston Astros. And, and uh, I told them, See, my son has the pictures of you men on his wall, thinking that you are the image of true men. How many of you feel that you've attained to proper manhood. And none of them could raise their hand. In fact, professional athletes may struggle more than others. We are so starved for some man who has made this journey of manhood to tell us what it means to be a real man. And I proclaim to you that Christ has made this journey and you can only likewise make it via the cross. There is no other way. You cannot reach Easter without going through Good Friday. Is manhood based on our physical appearance? No. Do you see in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2 and 3, Isaiah 53, 2 and 3, it says, He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. He was despised and forsaken of men. And like one from whom men hide their face. So you see, the scriptures in fact say that Jesus was not physically attractive. He says he had no stately form of majesty that men should be attracted to him. He was not attractive. There was nothing in him physically. He was like one from whom men hid their face, the scriptures say. In fact, some Messianic Jewish scholars who interpret this verse, have said that Jesus was probably five foot four with crooked teeth. I know that blows away your image of this Anglo, Jesus, who's six foot two with a sharp nose and perfect teeth. But that was probably not the case. In fact, the scriptures say that was not the case. Remember, the scriptures 
only talk about physical looks on the extremes. Only if someone is really beautiful, really handsome, or if someone is, ha, ha, is on another extreme there. For example, David and Absalom, it says, were extremely good looking. Tamar and Abigail were extremely pretty, the scriptures say. The Bible says that Iglon and Eli were fat men. It doesn't talk about middle-range people. It doesn't, the scriptures don't say, well, you know, he was just an average-looking guy. It doesn't say that. Only on the extremes. And it lists Jesus as being on an extreme. It says he had nothing about him, no form, that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. In other words, there was nothing in his physical appearance that was attractive. In fact, the scripture says, goes on to say in Isaiah chapter 52 verse 14 it says so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men Jesus was terribly disfigured when he was scourged when Pilate committed him to the scourging he was terribly disfigured if you've ever seen the movie The Passion and seen the beating of Christ, you may think that that was an extreme. That was not an extreme. In fact, the movie didn't go far enough. As a, as a chemist, we teach our students, we sometimes show them films so that they'll learn to respect the chemicals that they deal with and not treat them in a cavalier manner. And we show them pictures of lab accidents. And we show them a picture of a face of a living person that has been through a lab accident. And you cannot tell from that picture whether that was a man or a woman or a dog or a horse because they were so disfigured by that lab accident. It says, Jesus was more disfigured than any man. So his appearance was more than was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. And in this appearance... When he came from that scourging and he was paraded toward Pilate, Pilate looked at him and made the proclamation in John chapter 19 verse 5. It was said, Behold the man. Behold the man. This is the image of the man. You want to know what it means to be a man? What does it mean scripturally? It means I would prefer to be crucified than to violate your dignity or use you for my own lustful gain. Recall that lust is grabbing what is not ours. Scripturally, what does it mean to be a man? That I would prefer to be crucified than to violate your dignity. If I cannot say that I would rather die for you than to use you, then I know not what it is to be a man. Behold the man. This is the image of the true man. Jesus. So marred, so disfigured for the good of others. So that we do not have to be marred and disfigured. The battle is between love, another's best interest, and lust, our own self-interest. 
You know, my wife and I never had intercourse until about ten days into our marriage. And it wasn't because I didn't want it. It was that she was a virgin, and whenever we tried, it hurt. It hurt her. So I never forced her. And to this day, she always remembers that I was gentle with her. And she'll say, even with great affection, you've never hurt me in these things. Men, the way we treat our wives in the sexual realm, they will never forget. Let me just point out something to women. You know, it hurts sometimes. Those first experiences can hurt. Not just the first experience, it can hurt for months. And some women don't understand why this isn't such a, ple- such a thing of pleasure. Trust me, when your husband treats you rightly, and he works with you tenderly, it will develop into something that can be full of pleasure. But the experience that you experience early on is not unusual. In fact, it's often seen and often experienced with women. Unless, men, unless you know what it is to be crucified for the one you love, rather than to use her for your own lustful fulfillment, you know not what it is to be a man. You do not know what it is to be a man unless you know what it is to be crucified for her dignity rather than for your own lustful fulfillment. And even if a woman is confused with her own dignity, you show her dignity. Maybe you recognize that lust is all you have. It's all you've got. Well, I don't condemn you, my brothers. I have been there. Can you look her in the eye and say, I would rather be crucified than to use you for my own selfish gain? Can you say that to your wife? Can you say that to your fiancé, to your girlfriend? You know, in the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, Song of Solomon 4, 9 and 10, it says, You have made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You have made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes, with a single strand of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils? in all kinds of spices. You see what he says. He first views her, the bridegroom first views his bride. He says, you have made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. Again, he says, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. He first views her as his sister, one whom he desires to protect. We always want to protect our sister. If you remember back men, to when your sister was first going on a date, the way you felt. You may remember, you felt protective because you're protective of your sister. You do not lust after your sister. When we permit our lust to be slain, we do not lose our sexual desire. It is redeemed to allow the message of the gospel to love one another as I have loved you. This is the deepest meaning of our sexuality. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You give yourself for this teaching so that you might give yourself for her. This is the meaning of manhood, that you would be crucified for your wife, for her honor and for her dignity. You know, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, it says, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. All Joseph knew is this, that this woman to whom he was betrothed, with whom he had no relations, was now pregnant. He had not yet been told by the Holy Spirit that this was an act of the Holy Spirit. All he knew that she was pregnant. And in this, her being pregnant, he was about to be shamed. His entire family was about to be shamed. And she could be stoned to death by the law in Israel. But it says, he being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. He was going to take the hit. He did not want to disgrace her. He did not want for her justice. He wanted for her mercy. He did not want to disgrace her. All he knew was that she disgraced him and his family. And his recourse was not wanting to disgrace her in return. Women, you want a husband like Joseph. Here's the deception. God has made the human body and it is not bad but beautiful. Pornography is a counterfeit. In art, you have to look at the intent of the artist. Is it to arouse sexually or is it to display the glories of the human body? That is how you tell the difference between art and pornography. You look at the intent of the artist. The body, and for us, the woman's body, is put there by God. But we are so starved for truth in this area that when we see the counterfeit in pornography, we grab at it. The desire for the woman's body is good and God-given, but it must be done in His order to ever have fulfillment and satisfaction. Prior to the fall in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says they were naked and unashamed. Outside of marriage, you cannot find that innocence. And further, in pornography, you cannot find that innocence. It will not be there, ever. It is a lie. It's a lying lizard. And it will never fulfill. Only genuine sexual order in marriage, done without lust, but in sacrificial giving of oneself, will bring the true sexual order and union. The major responsibility is with the man. A man may say, look how she dresses. She's thus made me sin. No. No matter how much she wears, you have the ability to undress her in your mind within a nanosecond. The major responsibility is upon the man to submit to having his sexuality redeemed, as we discussed before. Women should be responsible to understand men to a degree, but can never fully do this. For even men fantasize about women contained totally under head coverings. You use this prescription, men. You say, I thank you, Lord, for the beauty of this woman. She has been made in the image of God. By the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, may I never use her as an object of my own lustful gain. And by that power, please untwist in me that which sin has twisted. And may I come to see my own sexuality rightly. So men, here's the action plan, or maybe better called the battle plan. 
You, not your wife and not your pastor, you must make a decision that you want to be a real man and be freed from that lizard of lust. You must give everything to Christ and permit yourself and your lust to be slain so that redemption can come. Pornography must go. Masturbation must go. You must spend regular time with God, confessing your weakness to Him, and if you have trouble with pornography, finding a male accountability partner with whom you can confide. If you have trouble with fidelity, you must see your pastor or a counselor immediately. You must spend regular time with God confessing your weakness and saying that prayer of redemption over and over again. Pray the prayer of redemption. Throw the enemy's darts right back at him by praying for the woman who's scantily clad that she comes to see her beauty as a woman not in the lustful manipulation of men's hearts. In cleavage aisle at the grocery store in other words, the checkout section when you see these things in the magazine. Pray for those women on the cover of the magazines. Pray for their salvation and purity of heart. Offering your sufferings for their holiness. Throw the enemy's darts right back at him. And don't play games with sin. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 9, it says, If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Rid yourself of porn. Yes, throw it away. Maybe you can only use your computer at Starbucks or in some other public place. They have, they, they have uh, high-speed internet access there. Don't use a computer alone in your room if you have trouble with pornography. Don't. You say, that's going a bit far. Well, you don't mess around with sin. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. You take your choice. Either pluck out your eye or use your computer only in public places. Take your choice. This can be a long road, man, if you are already set through years of conditioning through sin. For example, in masturbation. The prayer of redemption does work. I am here to proclaim to you it does work. However, stumbling can indeed occur. For example, in masturbation. But you will see a clear trajectory to improvement. And a, and a stumble does not mean the end, man. You continue on. Stumbling does not mean the end. My dear brothers, I am in this battle with you. I don't hold myself out as one having attained it, but I t press toward the goal as you do. And I see the victory growing nearer. Gird up your loins with truth, as it says in Ephesians 6. And that's the truth where we stand. The joy that comes from proper sexual order in marriage, the enjoyment of the very act, is there to foreshadow our further, our future union with Christ as He unites with the church. But I want you to know, again, that our union with Christ is not going to be a sexual one. Yet God has provided the penultimate pleasure of our experience with our wives as a foreshadow of the ultimate joy that we will experience when united with Jesus. This is a foreshadow a foretaste of the union with Christ. So let me summarize this section on manhood. I have shared something of my life which is probably typical of most men's lives, while the specifics might be a little bit different between us. Jesus Christ demonstrates the journey to manhood. He is the man 
as the scriptures proclaim, that model for us true manhood, which is summed up in this statement, I would prefer to be crucified than to violate your dignity. Outside of marriage, uh, outside of marriage functioning in a proper sexual context, we cannot find sexual innocence. And further, in pornography, you cannot find innocence. It will not be there. It is a lie. You, not your wife, not your pastor, you must make a decision that you want to be a real man and be free from that lizard of lust. You must give everything to Christ and permit yourself and your lust to be slain so that resurrection can come. God has provided this penultimate marital sexual pleasure as a foreshadow of the ultimate joy we will experience when we unite with Jesus.